Thank you for calling the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame. For detailed information, please visit our website at www.racingmuseum.org. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Brian Bouillet to the program. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? Okay. Brian Bouillet is communications officer of the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame at 191 Union Avenue in Saratoga Springs, New York. Brian is also author of the book Bare Knuckles in Saratoga Racing, The Remarkable Life of John Morrissey. We'll talk with him about that in a few minutes, but let's talk about the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame. Were, were both of them, you know, the museum and the Hall of Fame, were they both created at the same time? No, actually, uh, the museum was here a few years before the Hall of Fame. Uh, the museum was established in 1950, and it opened its doors for the first time uh, a year later in 1951. Um, but the, the Hall of Fame part did not actually come along until 1955. They wanted to kind of get things established first, uh, you know, come up with the right people who would, you know, be able to make the decisions on who would get into the Hall of Fame. So they kind of took their time developing that concept of it. And has it always uh, been in this current location on Union Avenue? For the most part, but not initially. Uh, when the museum first opened, it was uh, located in Congress Park, right in Canfield Casino, um, which is now the, the History Museum for Saratoga Springs. So while the uh, uh, the residents that were permanently in now at, at Union Avenue was being constructed, uh, people got to see you know a glimpse of what the museum would eventually be when it. Uh, first opened it was you know some artwork some silks you know some trophies over in the park now and uh uh, but now it's uh, we're at our permanent home here at uh, union avenue and you have the hall of fame there i mean the different statues and such you've yeah, the uh, the inductees are all part of uh, you know if, if you go into the the main hall of fame in the museum, it's it's probably our biggest attraction. All the plaques of our 436 members are in there. Sure. I I know I had said statues, but they're actually what you have are plaques, right? Yes, correct. You know, basically what you would see in Cooperstown or you know Springfield, Mass at the other you know sports halls of fame. Yeah, I have been there. We we did a podcast a few years ago or some time ago when you had an exhibit on uh, Amsterdam. Sanford family, and I believe that exhibit's probably no longer there, or is it? Or uh, it's not currently anymore. We do have a lot of our our exhibits have been archived on our website, so if you want to see past exhibits, you can go there. But uh, yeah, the Sanford exhibit was a, a nice local thing we were able to do to trace the legacy of that family that had uh, such an Im- impact on on racing both in Saratoga and throughout New York. What are some of the exhibits you have at the museum? Well, right now, this year, one of our big things is uh, this year was the 150th edition of the Belmont Stakes. Uh, so we decided to do something big with that anniversary, and we brought out a lot of artwork uh, that probably people haven't seen in a number of years, a lot of portraits of past Belmont Stakes winners, um, you know, Hall of Fame members that have won the Belmont, and that's in our Von Stadi Gallery. That opened in June, and it's through the rest of the year. Um, you know, so it's a great way to look at, you know, the past Belmont winners and their connections to the Hall of Fame. Um, one of the other big exhibits we've got going on right now is called the Tony Leonard Collection, who was a, uh, a master photographer of the sport. He covered racing for more than 50 years. 
Um, and when he died, he had uh, more than half a million negatives of mm. photography that he had taken from the Triple Crown races, the Breeders' Cup, Saratoga, uh, all these different tracks throughout the country. And we've put a selection of those on display here at the museum, and uh, it's been very popular. Mm-hmm. Do the exhibit, and now you had the example, or you already gave the example of the Sanford exhibit. The exhibits do change, do they we not? Have, we have certain permanent exhibits that, you know, tell the history of the museum and the story. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the sport, you know, has been around since the colonial days, so we have certain exhibits. Our, our pre-Civil War gallery talks about that era and how uh, thoroughbred racing got started in the South and, you know, came up through New York and everything. Um, then we have the post-Civil War era where, you know, Saratoga started to become prominent. We have a a 20th century gallery. So, you know, we do have semi we do have some exhibits that are permanent that, you know, tell the basic story of racing, but we try to, you know, we want visitors to come back, you know, so we want them to see different things. So, uh, you know, we switch up our exhibits every couple of years and we're, we're working on a lot of different stuff. Well, you probably can tell me a lot of things I don't know, but you just mentioned that racing began in the South. I had no idea. Um, wh- why was that? Well, you know, it it's kind of follows the pattern of, you know, the way America was established in the colonies. And, you know, Virginia was probably our biggest colony back then. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of farmers down there and people who had horses on farms. And, you know, thoroughbred racing in America basically got started as, you know, kind of competitions between farms. You know, my horse is faster than your horse. Well, let's prove it, you know. And that's how some of these match races initially got started. Um, and then it kind of spread up north through the colonies and, you know, onto the Union course on Long Island. And um, there, re- there was no competition for it. There was no baseball, there was no football or basketball, um, and it really became, you know, kind of the the first national sport in America. Mm. And eventually came to Saratoga. I mean, Saratoga was rather late in getting the sport, or well, not late compared. I mean, you know, the when, when Saratoga came to prominence, it was it was actually during the Civil War when they had the first meet here in 1863, which was the the course that was across the street from the current uh, facility at Saratoga. Uh, we were in the middle of the Civil War. It was only a few weeks after the battles of Gettysburg and Vicksburg, uh, but there wasn't really you know anything going on you know from the war perspective up in Saratoga. And uh, John Morrissey staged the meeting here, and he was able to get some Southerners to come up, uh, some uh, owners from Canada. They came from about 14 different states, I believe. And, uh, you know, it really started racing in Saratoga because um, at the time in the South, most of those courses had been closed. The big course that was in Kentucky, uh, there was an encampment of, uh, you know, Confederate soldiers on there. So racing was kind of at a standstill uh, when Saratoga came along. Mm. And well, maybe this is a good time to, uh, by the way, we're talking with Brian Bouye from the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame. Uh, you, uh, some years ago, uh, wrote a, a book about uh, John uh, Morrissey. Uh, the remark- well, I'm sorry, <laughs> Bare Knuckles and Saratoga Racing, The Remarkable Life of John uh, Morrissey. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. He was uh, really one of the most interesting characters of the 19th century, and uh, you know he's actually being inducted into our Hall of Fame this year. He's being recognized as one of the pillars of the turf, so uh, it's an exciting time for his legacy. Um, but he came along, you know, he was born in Ireland in 1831, and he grew up in Troy. Um, you know, he didn't really have much of an education because his family was poor, and he had to, you know, work some odd jobs along the docks of the Hudson River, uh, worked in New York City, kind of in, in some of the gang-affiliated uh, stuff, um, you know, being like a political enforcer. But he got into bare-knuckle boxing, and he, he was very good at it. And he wound up becoming the champion of America and uh, used some of that money to invest in some casinos. And by the time he came to Saratoga, 
Tioga. He was he was a very wealthy man, and he wanted to have a casino up here, and he had a small one that he started out with, um, and it became successful. And he wanted to take that legacy and do something with it during the daytime. Most of these games were at night, and he was looking for a way to entertain people during the day, and uh, he thought thoroughbred racing would be a big hit here, and uh, he was obviously right. Hmm. Uh, and he also became a politician, right? Or you... Yes, he uh, he was elected to Congress twice, um, and he was representing Tammany Hall initially before he had a fallout with that organization. Um, and then he was later, you know, he was he spent a lot of time in Washington, but you know he liked New York and he liked Saratoga, and you know he was the uh, the main stockholder of the track up here, and that was one of the reasons why he kind of left. Uh, office in Washington. He wanted to be more of a New York guy, so he ran for the New York State Senate, um, and he was elected to that and then reelected. Um, but he never really served out his second term because he became ill uh, while campaigning, and he, and he died in 1878, you know, partially into his second term. Maybe you won't appreciate this, but I mean, John Morrissey being involved in the creation of the racing, the horse racing at Saratoga, I mean, Horse racing has a certain edge to it. Would you agree? I mean, there's a certain amount of, I don't know, well, it's danger, you know, danger to the horses and the jockeys when they run. But there was all, you know, in the gambling on the on the horses. I mean, at some point in the history of New York, right, uh, the, the state banned some, I don't know, they either banned all betting or they banned off-track betting uh, in the early did. years. Yeah, the, what they did, and this, uh, this happened after Morrissey died, it, there was no racing at Saratoga in 1911 and 1912. Uh, what had happened was an, uh, an act was passed called the Hart-Agnew Act, which banned paramutual wagering. It didn't necessarily say that you know you couldn't have thoroughbred racing, but it said you couldn't bet on it on track. But you know, it basically crippled the business for a couple of years. And uh, um, you know, a lot of the prominent stables and the jockeys and the trainers they went over to Europe. Um, it was a big thing for a couple of years, but. It was such a popular sport that, you know, the people really, uh, you know, spoke up and said, you know, this is something that we appreciate, something that we love. And, uh, you know, it only lasted for two years. And then mm-hmm. Saratoga came back in 1913, and it was uh, ever popular ever since then. Yeah. And I believe that, um, well, I probably shouldn't have started on this because I'm not positive, but I believe that Stephen Sanford from the, the Sanford Stud Farm in uh, Amsterdam, that um, was the end of his life when they banned racing. And either he had passed away when they resumed racing. I'm, I'm sorry, resumed racing and betting. I guess, well, I guess they banned the meets. Didn't happen those two years, or else by then he had gone blind and wasn't able to see it. He was elderly. You're correct. He was elderly at the time, and uh, you know his son John actually wound up you know picking up a lot of the family mantle in thoroughbred racing, and uh, uh, John actually won the Kentucky Derby in 1917 with a horse named George Smith. So I think it was 16. 1916. You're correct. <laughs> right. Yep. And yeah. they they also won the uh, uh, the big Grand National over in England, which is you know the most prestigious steeplechase race in Europe with a horse called Sergeant Murphy. Um, so John really kind of picked up his father's legacy and. Uh, you know, the Sanfords are a very fascinating family, and, you know, they didn't race their horses each year until the Saratoga meet. They didn't go down to, uh, you know, Aqueduct or Belmont or travel out of state. You know, Saratoga was their big thing, and before the meet, there's all these great photos of this. If you look historically, they would walk their horses from Amsterdam to Saratoga Racecourse every year. It's a 27-mile trip. They would walk them. They'd get to Galway, you know, in the middle of the night. They'd water them and rest them and everything, and then they'd finish the journey. There's a lot of great photos of them coming up uh, Union Avenue walking the horses. So it was kind of a special thing for them to come to Saratoga every year. We haven't really talked about the Hall of Fame, but I do believe one of the people inducted, probably posthumously, was 
Holly Hughes, the trainer for the Sanfords? Yes, uh, Holly Hughes is one of the Hall of Fame members, uh, a trainer who was uh, both prominent as a flat trainer and a steeplechase trainer. You know, he was a guy who had a diverse career. Um, a lot of the trainers kind of specialize on one thing or another, but um, Holly Hughes had a great career. He he trained for the Sanfords for decades, yep. And I think, um, again, I've done a couple of columns about Holly Hughes, and I found some coverage here that Hughes was quoted as saying, they won the Kentucky Derby in 1916, and years later he found a horse that he thought he had potential for the Kentucky Derby, but John Sanford wasn't interested. He said, well, I've already won the Kentucky Derby. And that's sort of the attitude. You know, the, the Sanfords in horse racing, they they were sort of like these gentlemen horse racers. You know, it's like it had to be fun for them, and they didn't do it. Yeah, it was sport for them. You know, I mean, I think a lot of the big difference today that you see with owners and groups as opposed to back then is, you know, it, it's still a sport, but it's as much a business now, if not more, than it was then. A lot of the people who were uh, prominent in racing, you know, at the time when the Sanfords were popular, the Belmonts and the Whitneys, you know, they, they did it as a leisure, you know, a leisure activity that they really enjoyed. It wasn't about, you know, making money. Um, you see the groups today and it's all, you know, you got to sell the horse to get the, st- the stallion deal and make the money. I mean, we're seeing that with the Triple Crown winner now. Uh, you know, he's had six career races and he may never race again because of the stallion interests in him. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, you didn't have back then. If you had a great horse, uh, people appreciated him. You did it for the sport and everybody, you know, got the opportunity to, you know, see them race and compete for a, more of a long time. We're talking with Brian Bouillet from the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame in Saratoga Springs on the Historian's Podcast. We'll have more in just a moment. This is Bob Cutmore. On behalf of the Historian's Podcast, we ask for your help to keep the podcast on the internet. If uh, you want to donate, the easiest way to do it is online through our GoFundMe page, gofundme.com forward slash historians2018. If uh, you don't want to donate with your credit card online, you could make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send it to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302, in connection with the current topic, Brian, that's Horstman. Not a, people, a lot of people think it's Horstman Drive, but it's H-O-R-S-T-M-A-N. We're talking with Brian Bouye, communications officer, National Museum of Racing and the Hall of Fame. Uh, when we called uh, you for the interview, a familiar voice was on your answering machine, and also he does work at the at the museum. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, we're very fortunate at the museum here. Tom Durkin, who called the uh, the races at, at the Saratoga and throughout New York for uh, uh, 25 years and had a 43-year career as a track announcer, uh, he's on the advisory board of trustees here at the museum. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate that Tom has decided that he doesn't want to be one of those guys who just sits around in retirement. He wants to be involved in the sport still and do things. And uh, uh, he's done some great things here at the museum. He does tours during the meet that are very popular. You can sign up and uh, get a personalized tour of the museum where Tom takes you through all the exhibits and the galleries and, you know, sprinkles in some personal tales of his career and, you know, what things have meant to him and talks about his greatest races. Um, before the uh, before the Belmont this year, we did a special thing being that it was the 150th run, and we brought Tom in, and uh, he talked about several of his most famous calls of the Belmont, which was a great night here. We had a, a packed house where people were, you know, being able to hear the stories of, you know, how the calls went down, what he thought of the horses and the jockeys and everything. So um, Tom does our, our voice on the uh, uh, the museum, so if you call up and you're looking 
looking to be transferred to a department or something, you're going to hear the voice of New York <laughs> Racing for a number of years. So, yeah, we're, we're really excited to have Tom on board. He's a, a terrific ambassador for the sport, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to have him here. Yeah. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, I mean, where did, in a sense, where did he come from? I mean, uh, I know there were other announcers over the years when I was more involved working in Capital District Media with um, – racing at Saratoga. I want to say it was a man named Marshall Cassidy. Sure. Marshall was uh, the New York announcer before Tom uh, had the job. Tom worked at a lot of tracks. He got a, he got a start at uh, uh, down in Florida. You know, his first big track that he worked for was Tampa Bay Downs, and he worked for a lot of different places throughout the years. And, uh, you know, he was the voice of the, uh, the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup for NBC for a number of years. But, um, you know, he's always going to be associated with Saratoga. Um, I think he took that job in 1990. Um, and he had he had a 25 year run, you know. And uh, people don't understand the stress that goes with the calls that these guys have to make. I mean, uh, you know, they're on the back stretch, and you've got eight or nine horses bunched up, and you're looking for a sliver of a uh, saddlecloth color or the number on it, you know. So he, you know, it, it was something that took a toll. Um, you had to be very prepared for nine, ten races a day, know the different trainers, the jockeys, the horses, um, it, you know. And he said it was something that, you know, he's just looking for a little relaxation at this time in his career, but. Um, you know, he was he was a terrific voice, and you know, a lot of people. He's he's the guy. He's the face of racing for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, must have to have great eyesight to do that. I would imagine the eyesight. I would imagine the instincts. You know, the uh, you know, just just to know when a horse is going to move to kind of predict what that next uh, that next split second is going to be. You see a jockey making a move. You see where the whole pack is. You know, you got to know uh, if the horse at the back is a closer or if it's a speed horse up front. You know, are they going to be able to stay the course? You know, so it's all about timing and you know, it's 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 a delicate rhythm to be a race caller. I couldn't imagine trying. I've actually tried it myself. You know, trying to see how I would do. Uh, and, and there's there's only one of one Tom Durkin out there. <laughs> okay, well, let me uh, go back uh, to asking you about the Hall of Fame um, of the people and horses, because you have both people and horses in the Hall of Fame, right? Um, are there any way to know which are the favorite ones, or that probably cyclical or changes over time? Well, I, I think it's kind of like any sport. You know, there's going to be these all-time favorites. You know, if if you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, everybody's going to talk about Babe Ruth and, and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. And I think if you come to the Racing Hall of Fame, you know, you're going to have names that are going to stand out to, to multi-generations. Man of War, Seabiscuit, Secretariat, you know, the, uh, uh, the D. Wayne Lucases, um, you know, guys like that that people are very familiar with. So I, I think there's, you know, ones that are, are certain generations will be familiar with. Then there's the, the others that are kind of the you know, all-time legends of the sport that everybody kind of knows the name. Who is being inducted this year, and when is that? Uh, when are they inducted? The Hall of Fame induction ceremony this year is Friday, August 3rd. We have our inductions over at the uh, uh, Phasic-Tipton Arena here in Saratoga, and that's where they have the horse sales every year. Um, this year it's a very big class. Um, we have a category called Pillars of the Turf where – uh, we elect pioneers of the sport, people who are leaders, and we have 12 people from that group going in this year. So um, that group includes August Belmont, um, Cott Campbell, who started Racehorse Partnerships with Dogwood, uh, Penny Chenery, um, who was Secretariat's owner, um, Arthur Hancock, who established Claiborne Farm, John Morrissey, who we talked about, holds a mm -hmm. special place in my heart, who's getting in. Um, and then we have three members of the Whitney family, which is a very big deal up here in Saratoga. Uh, William Collins Whitney, who was the family patriarch, uh, his son Harry Payne Whitney, and then C.V. Whitney, who a lot of modern people will know. So three generations of that family are being inducted. Um, 
and we also have the horse Preakness, who is the namesake of the Preakness Stakes. So uh, it's a very diverse class, uh, a lot of great uh, uh, achievements between this group that's going in this year. Hmm. Um, and you know who's going in, in this year, and how are they chosen? Well, we have three different categories. Um, so we have a contemporary review category, which reviews candidates, horses, jockeys, and trainers that have competed within the last 25 years. Uh, we have a historic review committee, which reviews horses, jockeys, and trainers that competed as far back as colonial times. Um, we're still looking at history that goes all the way back there, uh, but their, their committee doesn't take a look at modern candidates. That's for the other one. And then we have a Pillars of the Turf Committee, which reviews uh, these sort of people who are pioneers of the sport, mm -hmm. leaders, top breeders and owners. We've only had that for about five years. That's kind of why we're having uh, such big classes. We had a, a maximum of 12 that can be elected, and um, these were the kind of the people who, who built the sport. So, you know, other sports, you know, we're able to bring in managers and owners. Um, when the museum was founded here, the, the, the people who found the museum just wanted to have horses, jockeys, and trainers, the people uh, and the horses that were connected to the action on the, on the track. Um, but, you know, as our board evolved, as the sport evolved, we kept saying, you know, we're not telling the complete story of the sport if we're not including, you know, people like the Belmonts and the mm -hmm. Whitney's and, you know, the Phippses and these families that, that did so great things, the John Morrisseys who, you know, established racing. I mean, they had to have a place uh, in the Hall of Fame as well, and we're, we're really thrilled to have this category in now. Do you know, I mean, who are the horses, trainer, and jockey being inducted this year? So the two horses that are going in this year, the one is Preakness. Oh, uh, you said that. Yeah, yeah he, raced, he raced in the 1870s, so uh, we really went back to, you know, look at the history there. Um, he was actually such a popular horse in his era that he was still racing when the first Preakness Stakes was going, so there was a, there was a race named for this horse that was still in competition. Um, the other horse that's going in this year is Heavenly Prize, uh, who raced, raced in the 1990s and was very popular here in New York. Uh, won eight grade one events in her career. She won the Alabama here at Saratoga. Uh, very popular horse owned by Phipps Stable um, and trained by Suge McGahey, uh, who's a Hall of Fame member. And the only trainer who's getting in this year is a guy named William Lakeland, um, who was also a 19th century guy for the most part. Um, you know, he won the Preakness as a trainer. Uh, he transitioned from being a jockey into a trainer, and he's kind of got a little special niche as a jockey. He won the first race ever at Churchill Downs. Hmm. About Do you have other jockeys getting in? Or? No, no jockeys this year. Um, there's no mandate that you know a particular category really? has to be represented each year. So yeah, it's it's, it's somewhat unusual. Uh, you know, most years we have a jockey or two, but uh, we didn't get any elected this year. Huh. But and again, who were your most popular jockeys in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the neat thing about our sport is we can still have people who are active, who are in the Hall of Fame. Basically, once you're, uh, as a jockey, if you've ridden for 20, 20 years, you become eligible. And a lot of these jockeys, you know, ride until they're in their early late 40s, early 50s. So, you know, currently I would say some of the most popular Hall of Fame members are a lot of the active guys. Uh, Mike Smith, who just won the Triple Crown, is in the mm. Hall of Fame. He's he's wildly popular. Um, Javier Castellano. You've got uh, Victor Espinoza, who won the Triple Crown with American Pharaoh a couple years back. Uh, John Velasquez, Calvin Burrell, Kent Sormo. These guys are still riding out there, um, so they're they're kind of uh, ambassadors for the Hall of Fame. Um, if you're talking kind of all-time jockeys that are, you know, the big names, you know, you'd obviously have to say, you know, Eddie Arcaro, Angel Cordero, who won. 
14 riding titles here at Saratoga. Uh, you know, Jerry Bailey's got to be on that list, guys like that. So I, I think there's, uh, you know, definite generations, you know, Gary Stevens, Pat Day. There's just so many big names in the Hall of Fame. How is the Museum and Hall of Fame financially supported, and who operates the organization? Well, we're independent. A lot of people think that you know we're uh, you know affiliated with Naira or the Breeders' Cup or the Jockey Club, but we're we're an independent, uh, not-for-profit organization. Um, we rely on donations for the most part. We have a, a board of trustees that's very generous and helps fund a lot of exhibits and and things like that. But you know we rely on admissions, we rely on membership, we rely on you know donations from corporate partners, that sort of thing. Now the. Um summertime which is upon us now but of course the podcast will be on the internet could be for some some years but is the summertime you know when the saratoga meeting is in place uh, is that when you get your biggest crowds absolutely i mean it's uh you know although we're not the you know officially affiliated with naira and the track across the street we, we have a very good symbiotic relationship we work well with them um, you know, we give out, you know, some passes over there for people at the track, and we, we work with them on marketing and promotions. Uh, but these six weeks that are, are coming up starting this Friday at Saratoga, they're, they're definitely our biggest time of the year. Um, you know, we have a lot of people that will come to the museum before they go to the track for the day. Um, and it's just it's when Saratoga is really, you know, booming the most. Our, our population in the city, you know, probably more than doubles for the six weeks. And, uh, you know, the restaurants and, and the businesses and the hotels and uh, the museum here certainly benefit of that. Let me uh, ask you about uh, contact information. I mean, what is your website and how do people find out about the museum and how much it costs to go there? I mean, can you give us a a general sense of how much? All all the basic information you can find is is right on our website. It's uh, racingmuseum.org. We're located at 191 Union Avenue, so we're right across from the track. If you want to visit us during the race meet, we're open every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., uh, we have some special programming and events and things like that that you can see if you click on our calendar of events. So if you want to know what's going on, uh, if you want to get on one of the Tom Durkin tours, if you want to come into one of our uh, special programs, every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. Um, during the meet, we have a thing called the Express Bet Saturday Morning Social. And uh, Express Bet is a an account wagering platform and they'll come in and uh, they'll give you past performances of the horses that are going to race that day at Saratoga. You can talk to them about, you know, different betting options, learn a little bit about the sport. Um, you know, we also had tried to have during uh, these events, guest artists or book signings, that sort of thing uh, related to racing. And, you know, other than those, we have a lot of fun events during the meet. We have a, a racing trivia night on July 27th where you can uh, bring a team of people and answer questions for prizes. Uh, we have a, a racing partnership and syndicate event on July 23rd where um, if you're interested in learning to be possibly an owner, how to get involved in racing, you know, these different groups you know, tell you about how you can buy into horses and learn all that. So we're doing stuff you know, pretty much daily throughout the meet. There's always something exciting going on here. Now, can you give us a quote on what's a basic admission cost, and do you have any events that are free? Yeah, a lot of our events are free. Um, like the Saturday morning programs, if you come in between 9 and 11, it's free admission. Um, you know, our, our general admission is it's, uh, it's, it's $7 for a person. Um, you know, seniors have discounts, children have discounts. Um, you know, but you also, there's... Uh, 
um, you know, military discounts, things like that. There's a lot of different things. But you can find all that information on the website. But we do have a lot of free days um, that you can come in, a lot of free events you can attend, like these partnership and syndicate events. Free to attend those. Uh, the trivia night, you know, you can sign up for your team. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a small fee. Uh, but a lot of these different events, are. some of them are free, some of them are uh, discounted, that sort of thing. How long have you been with the museum and the Hall of Fame, and what was your previous uh, work? I mean, did you work in horse racing? I started at the museum in January of 2010. Um, you know, I, 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 my background is in journalism. Before uh, uh, before coming to the museum, I was the sports editor at the Saratogian, um, and I had worked at the Troy Record prior to that. So um, being at the Saratogian for five years, you know, we, we put out the pink sheet, which is a daily racing supplement. So, um, you know, I got my education about racing, uh, you know, from a, one of our columnists, Michael Veach, who's a tremendous mm-hmm. historian, and he really helped me learn a lot about uh, the different aspects of the sport and the top trainers and uh, everything about the Saratoga history, and I just, you know, I fell in love with it. There's just so many rich stories and, you know, how it, uh, you know, just ties in with our community and everything up here. So um, I grew up in the area, you know, I'd been to the track as a kid and I enjoyed it. I didn't really have a uh, what I would say would be a great sense of history of it at that time. I just thought it was a fun place to to go and watch the horses and you know get some jockey autographs and you know as I kept kept growing up and learning and learning about the John Morrisseys and the Man o Wars and uh, the Whitney family and everything that's you know tied into it here. It's just it's just such a great history and uh, you know I'm I'm excited to still come to work here every day and uh, you know be a part of it here at the museum. Well, thank you very much, Brian. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast with our guest, Brian Bouillet, who was communications officer of the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame on Union Avenue in Saratoga Springs, New York. Brian is also author of the book, Bare Knuckles and Saratoga Racing, The Remarkable Life of John Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. Thank you.